Welcome to Grace River Church, located in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Our mission is to see every generation experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives. We hope you enjoy today's message. Dr. Joe Bucci is going to be sharing the word with us. If you don't know about Dr. Bucci, he's a powerful teacher of God's word. He's a professor at Regent University. And we're honored, Dr. Bucci, to have you with us this morning. If you'll come as a church, can we give him a warm round of applause this morning? Please stand with me. We're going to do uh, what we've done for the past seven or eight weeks, which is recite the Lord's Prayer. But before you do this, Let's step back into Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus talked about prayer, talked about repetition in prayer, talked about praying on the street corner. And then he said, this is how you should pray. And it's one of the most remarkable things, that we can come before God and call him our Father, that we are part of his family. So as you say this prayer, envision in your mind whom you are praying. And let's pray together. Ready? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever. Amen. Now don't sit down. Now let's continue and pray. Father, as we as we look at your word, as we open your word, open our hearts today. God, please help us to see if there's anything that hinders our prayer. Help us to see if there's anything that causes us to be distracted. Show us, O oh God, if our hearts have become soft or lukewarm towards you. Challenge us today. God, it has to be your word. It's not anything that I can do. I can emote. I can jump up and down, scream, but it is your spirit that transforms us. Please, God, we're asking that you change us, that we leave here differently than we came in. God, I'm praying that. I don't know why you have me here today, but I'm here to serve pray that your words, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I asked Pastor John, well, let's just uh, decide, go back two steps. I'm Joe Bucci, and I'm grateful to be here. Don't like introductions. Um, Pastor John is away. He is away in Israel. Uh, we're grateful for that opportunity that he had. I had the same opportunity this past summer. Uh, really was not interested in going to Israel, actually. Um, but I uh, had the opportunity. We, were, we took a group of students on an international, um, uh, called International Business, and we wound up going to Israel. And, and we did talk to business people, and it was pretty interesting. But uh, uh, because uh, uh, Josh has been uh, really jumping in for his grandfather, and uh, Pastor was uh, just... I mean, Josh is a great preacher. He really is. We're blessed to have Josh here. And um, uh, because of his grandfather and him filling in, uh, Pastor John asked me to fill in. So I said, yeah, all right. Um, but um, so he's in Israel. And as I was thinking about him being in Israel, I thought about uh, En Gedi. Um, I don't know where they're going on their tour. The tendency is to go, if you've been to Israel, or if you haven't, there's a lot of touristy places, you know, that you go to. And... Um, Reminds me when I was a kid growing up. When I was a kid growing up, my mom was into uh, uh, the Revolutionary War and then the Civil War. And uh, every place you go, you know, uh, George Washington was here, and there's tour buses, and there's little trinkets. And Israel's a lot like that, unfortunately. Um, a lot of tourists there, tons of people. Uh, we started in the wilderness, and we went uh, to the Dead Sea. And uh, we overnight, we uh, stayed on top of this cliff and saw the sunrise over the Dead Sea. It was really amazing. And then we went to En Gedi. Uh, and En Gedi, uh, the Bible talks about En Gedi and David 
uh, being on the run from Saul in First uh, Samuel chapter 24. And uh, I thought about that in relation to what we're doing in our starting here. So let's go to uh, that. We're going to look, we're going to use a lot of scripture. Some of them I will have the scripture for you to look at on the screen. Some of it you're going to have to use your Bible. So please uh, grab your Bible if you would. And we're going to look at um, Psalm 57 and David here. I guess we're going to try and do that. Um, Psalm 57, David starts and says, verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storm of destruction passes by. He's on the run. He's on the run from Saul who has committed himself to kill David because David is his rival. David has received the blessing of God to be king. The blessing's been removed from Saul because Saul chose to do things on his own. And he decided that uh, he's going to do it his way. He didn't listen to Samuel. He took things in his own hands when it came to offering a sacrifice. And so God has just had enough of that and has anointed David. And Saul knows that. So he's chasing David. And David is hiding. And again, I don't know if you've been there. I had a picture. I'm sorry that I didn't post it. But I saw a picture yesterday from from on, uh, from above. And uh, all around in Getty is desert. When we were there, it was 108 degrees. You know, it's lovely. People say, well, it's a dry heat. Hey, it's 108 degrees. It's hot. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could call it dry, but it's still hot, right? And um, right in the midst of that is this oasis called Engedi. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a couple waterfalls there. There's one that's called, um, I think it's called the Fountain of David. And it's just really refreshing when you're in the desert. And from there, you can look down and you can see the Dead Sea. It's just, it's just beautiful. And it's a, it's a um, kind of a mountainous enclave. You've been there, right, Josh? It's a kind of a mountainous enclave. And there's a bunch of caves there. So when you're standing there, you know, it doesn't change what David said, but it kind of gives you that picture that, you know, one of those caves is where David kind of hiding from Saul. So he's on the run. And he's here, obviously, because there's water, and he's, uh, you know, he's in the middle of the wilderness. And, and uh, But there's also a place to hide. So he's crying out to God. So let's continue. Verse 3, I cry out. I think it's, is that two? It's two. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amidst fiery beasts, children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a, a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Now look at this. He's on the run, fearful for his life, but look what he says. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David was just one of those unusual people who kept things in focus. He was devoted to God above all things. Even though his life was in the balance, even though things were not working out the way he had thought they might work out, even though he was being unjustly accused. Ever been there? What did he do? You know, he didn't call his lawyer. He didn't, uh, you know, uh, whatever other folks might, whatever we might do, right? He cried out to God. Cried out to God for, for support, for help. He trusted God for what God would do in his life to protect him. But he also expressed his deep love for God in the midst of that difficult circumstance. I wanted to talk about this today. I wanted to talk about our love for God. Let me get back to my notes here. Um, he's yearning. He's humble. He's confident. He's a willing worshiper. He's passionate for God, even while being on the run. 
The question is, what does that mean when we read that? I think we're so easily distracted by things in our life that it's easy for us to kind of lose focus on who's in charge. We sang it today several times, right? We pray this in the Lord's Prayer. God, we trust in you to give us our daily bread. We know that you are sovereign and in control. We talked about it in our, um, in our class this morning. Why does God even allow us to participate in prayer? We are, he already knows what he's going to do. He already knows the end. And yet God sovereignly allows us to be part of his means to his end. That's crazy, right? He knows what he's going to do. He doesn't need me to advise him. Hey, God, listen, if you're, you know, when you're doing it, look, it'd be better if you went in, right? He doesn't listen to me, except when my heart is poured out before him. And my heart links with his heart, I hope. And I say, well, not my will, but thine be done. But God, hear my cry. We prayed for Sandy, and God provided a kidney for her. And, and we've prayed for others. And sometimes we see those things happen, sometimes we don't. But our hearts are still enjoined to him. What is, really, what is our prayer? And forgive me, again, we talked about this this morning. Uh, if you went to Israel, you'd have to be able to speak Hebrew in order to communicate. Let me suggest to you that prayer is that language that communicates with God. It's us being able to kind of tune in that frequency and say, I want to be on the same page as you, God. So it could be continual, but sometimes it becomes a formal thing. We're in church. We pray. Okay? Before we eat, we pray. Can't eat. Joe didn't pray. Right? Everybody waits. Where's Joe? It's in the bathroom. Oh, no, my food's going to get cold. Right? It's very formal. Okay? But if it's that language of communication, we want to use that all the time because we want to communicate with God. Because we see a David, and we see a, a life like David. Not perfect, certainly by no means perfect. But in the midst of his troubles, he remembers what's important. And you see him in the wilderness crying out to God and saying, expressing his love to God. It's just amazing, right? So we want to have that heart, and we need to have that heart. Let's go to the next one, okay? Is this a picture, or what's a picture of a Christ follower? What does is, what is a Christ follower look like when it comes to that relationship with God in prayer? Let me suggest to you, love for God is required. It's expected. It's demonstrated. People can see it and need to see it, but it can be lost. And what I want to do today is encourage you that if you've lost some of that love, it can be restored. That's what I'm doing today. Hopefully, you're going to come along. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not going to be very effective. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Uh, here are some scriptures that we have. Matthew 10, 37. Jesus says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. Think about that. You almost have to go and say, what exactly does he mean by love? I mean, I love my father. I love my wife. I love my children. And Jesus says, but you must love me more. What does he, what does he mean by that? What do you think he means by that? There's a devotion. There's a commitment. There's a, uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do those things that I have commanded you. So love is not a feeling. I feel really good when I'm loving a friend. Love is more of a commitment, right? In this case, Jesus is saying, if you're not more committed to me than any other thing, you're not worthy to be my disciple. He's not saying you can't love your father or mother. What he's trying to do is he's trying to use hyperbole. He's trying to say, look at how you love. Look at your devotion to things. Are you devoted to God in the same way? I would have to look in the mirror and say, I'm not. I'm really not. Look at the next one. Okay, Jesus said when they asked him the first and greatest commandment, he said, you shall love the Lord your God. How? You know this, right? All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much of your heart loves God? How much of your soul, your personality, your uh, you know, your day-to-day -day activities, your mind, the things that you put into your mind, the things that consume your attention. How much of that? Be honest. 
It's church. You can be honest in church, right? No, you don't have to be because you're sitting back there and I'm up here. And as soon as we're done, you're running out of here. You're like, I don't want to think about that. Come on, let's be honest. I want to, I thought about locking the doors. Like, you know, really, like putting bars on the doors and say, you're not leaving here until you get serious with God. And then you'd be like throwing things. No, what are we doing? Uh, but you understand what I'm saying, right? I'm using, again, a little hyperbole as well. If I told you that you couldn't leave here until you settled this up in your mind, I mean, we could stop right here where you have an altar call. On a scale of 1 to 10, if you're not at a 10 before you leave, don't leave. Maybe. Maybe Pastor John had never asked, asked me to do this again. Okay. Let's go to the next one, John. Um, uh, Mike. Okay, so here you go. Paul says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, then that's a bad thing, right? <laughs> right? So we could say, well, I got to pass there because I have a little love. Now, see, again, there's that contrast, right? Is, is that enough? Okay, you got a little bit. That's, that's okay. That's a little bit. That's good. A little love. It's not enough. Okay. Now, love is expected. Peter wrote this. And though you have not seen him, you love him. This is really a very difficult thing to process, right, to think about. We hear a message about God's love for us. We experience loss or we recognize our sin. I thought a lot about uh, the Beatitudes because I love that sequence, right? Poor in spirit, I recognize my sinful state and I repent. Okay. So then I respond to God and I say, God, I, I need you in my life. Uh, but we, we don't see him. So it's very easy to be distracted. Right? If, if we could see him, if we could see him, you know, when you see your parents or you see your kids all the time, um, you know, you, you right away get back into that fellowship, that relationship. Uh, but it, that's not something, it's not something that we cannot do with God. It's, it's going into his presence and rekindling that relationship, right? Uh, I... I have tricks that I use. Um, a lot of times when I want to work through something with someone, I'll go back to affirmation. You know, there's a serendipity approach to uh, group study. And uh, when you start looking outside of yourself and affirming other people and telling them how much you appreciate their uniqueness, and, and boy, I really appreciate you saw that. I've been in meetings with a, like a screaming boss <laughs> and, uh, and, and remembered that, you know, I really appreciate that you saw that. We didn't pick up on that. We're not very smart, are we? Uh, you should fire us all right now. But um, that tended to settle things in the room, right? I use affirmation a lot because I know it works because suddenly you build trust with people. And when you build trust, people are willing to open up. And then it opens up your heart to people. You could do that in a relationship with God. But we haven't seen him, so it's much more difficult. Uh, so that's a challenge Peter shares with us. Then love is expected. Here's Ephesians, okay? Uh, chapter 6. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorrupt. What does that mean? If something can be corrupted, it can be tarnished, ruined. Think about it. Come on. I know this is, this is not regular preaching, right? I'm not, you know, kind of giving up on that... Uh, Bible thumping, shoe throwing, you know, shout for Jesus type of stuff. I want you to be more introspective as you think about this stuff. Sorry, I'll throw shoes if you'd like. I, th I do in class. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that, am I? Uh, they got a line. I take my shoe off. I say, if you keep this up, you're getting a shoe. Um, I shouldn't do that. Uh, child abuse is not allowed. Let's keep going. Love demonstrating. In John 14, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So therefore, yeah, you, I heard the, the groans there, right? So therefore, if we love, we obey. We keep his word. We hear something in church. We read a Bible. We, we make note of something, and then we say, I don't need to worry about that today. No, that's not what it says. It says we keep that. We meditate on that. It becomes part of our life. I need to do something about it, right? 
right? You're in a relationship, somebody says, this is not right, you need to fix this. You don't say, oh, I don't need to worry about that. You have a contract, you have to fulfill the requirements. If you don't, then you're not going to get paid if you're a, a tradesman or, or whatever it might be, right? Let's go to the next one. Love demonstrated. 1 John 4.20, and, and Deb and I were talking about 1 John this morning. John is very straightforward. It's yes or no with John. It's black or white. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. Okay. Wow. Okay. Of course, none of us hate our brother. We may just think he's a jerk or he's an idiot or something like that. We don't really hate him, right? It's okay. Okay, how can you... He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he's not seen. How do we demonstrate love among others? And what does that reflect on our love for God? Okay. But sometimes we can lose our love. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. And we'll read this passage. Revelation 2. We're going to read the first seven verses. Revelation 2 in the back. Here's Jesus speaking to John on the island of Patmos, to the angel in the church of Ephesus. That's the leader. John is supposed to deliver this letter to the leader. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Those are the leaders of the church. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. That was a sect at that time that uh, integrated with faith, with the Christian group, and, but had some, some uh, kind of uh, pagan practices. He said, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, whom I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I have this against you, Jesus said, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. That word indicates affection or benevolence, a desire, a passionate focus of love for God and for God and, and moral preference. We'll see that in a minute. Now, this is kind of interesting, right? Go to the next slide. Because this church, this, this church had... How do you want to say? The superstars of the faith were part of this church, okay? You want to talk about a, you know, the primo church. The church in Ephesus was that church. It was planted in a difficult area, okay? The temple of uh, Diana or, or Artemis was there. So there's a lot of pagan worship. Uh, if we read uh, Acts chapter 19, I have it here, but we won't read it. You see how Paul, this was like his first stop in Asia Minor, and this became the sending church for all the other churches, the churches that John would write letters to, that Jesus uh, dictated letters to, uh, would be, come out of this church. But I mean, look who's there. You've got Paul who planted it. You've got Apollos is there, Timothy. I mean, this is the, this is the rock star church, right? All the, the best guys are there preaching, right? Then John actually goes there at the end of his ministry, and he's writing his letter. His gospel was written from Ephesus. His letters were written from there. I mean, this is the church. If there's going to be a church that demonstrates faith. This is the church, right? They sent out, they planted all these other churches. I mean, this is amazing. These are the, you know, this is, what, when this is before they had the big satellite churches now, you know, with the pastors, and they had the screen projection, and before the, before the internet. Can you believe that? This church was planted before the internet. But they lost their first love. Okay? This is the church that had great works. If you read the passage, let's go back to the passage, right? I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. You cannot bear with those who are evil. You've tested those who call themselves. I mean, they didn't just take anybody who was passing along. There were these itinerant, you know, preachers who'd come in and say, oh, I have a word from God. And they, 
I don't know if you're the right. I mean, they knew their doctrine. They had it down. Okay? And yet this church, this church lost its first love? That's amazing. Okay? So what happened? The literal Greek, I went back to that same verse, verse 4. I have against you that the love of you first, the thing that's important, the love that was centered in moral preference, you desired other things, or how do we say it? You lost the greatest desire that you could have. You were working so hard. I mean, I, I we can interpret it however you want. You could read a, a ton of uh, commentators on this. They were a works-based church. They were very focused on... Uh, doing the, the ministry, doing the work of the ministry. They were rooting out evil. Seems like they'd be perfect, right? But what happened? Jesus said, I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. And it was, it was even more than that, right? Because what does he say? He says in verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Here's Here's the threat. If not, I will come to you, remove your lampstand. That's your leader. I will remove this, this light, this power that you have, unless you repent. Okay? Let me ask you this question. Where is the church at Ephesus? It's gone. It's gone. It's no more. Okay? It's gone. Now, some people say, I've, and I heard John MacArthur preach on this message. Some people say churches have a cyclical history, right? They last for a certain period of time. You know, there's, there's waves. There's generational waves because, you know, the first generation that comes to know Christ, you know, they're the ones that really struggled through, and so they, they really earned it, and they're passionate to pass along the faith to the next generation. But the third generation grows up in it, and so they all know it. They live that, you know, experience. I mean, they know that I've got students in my classes you know, they grew up, you know, they were, they were birthed in the pew, you know what I mean? That's all they've known, okay? So you can hear people talk about how churches kind of lose their way. But is it possible for this church with all those great preachers? I mean, Paul was there for three years. It's possible for any church. It's possible for any group because a church is a collection of people, and the church is a is a group of people that have to maintain a singular focus. Why did you come today? I always think about what Jesus said when he was talking about John the Baptist, and he hears the news about John the Baptist. And then he says, kind of rhetorically, why did you go out in the desert to see him? Were you just looking for the excitement? Were you just looking to be entertained? Do you know who was out there? Do you know? And I could say the same to us. I say the same to me. Why do I go to church? What do I go there for? To be entertained by Pastor John? I mean, he has the moves, you know, or what, right? Why do we go? What if, you know, what if anyone was here who was gifted of the Spirit? I mean, we've got some really good preachers here. Is it because of the music? Is it because of the, the friendships? I mean, those are all ancillary benefits, right? But why do we come? We come to worship the Lord. This is a dedicated time in our life. We come to try and filter out those things that we've been paying attention to, those distractions all week long, and say, oh God, I need to be in your presence. I need to hear from you. God, I, I have all these things going on. I need people to pray with me. I need to be changed. I want to be different. I don't want to live the way I was. And that's really what he's saying here. We're going to break this down. Let's go to the next one. He says three things to them that we want to take away from here. Okay? The first is remember. Okay. Remember, flip to the next one, Mike. Remember the Titans? Remember the main? Does anybody remember the main? When I was growing up, I heard people say, remember the main. What's the main? The main was a battleship that was sunk off the coast of Cuba. We were having this little problem with the Spanish at the time, right? That was 1898. Anybody here ever go around and say, oh, remember the main? Well, what's that, right? Remember the Titans? You all saw that movie, right? Remember the Titans? Okay. Uh, 1941, remember? A day that will live in infamy. Remember? We're still kind of on the, on the back end of 9-11. You know, people still have bumper stickers that we're supposed to remember. Here, Jesus is saying, 
You need to remember from where you have fallen. What does he mean? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. What is he saying to them? Consider, let me see if I can get this here. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God, God chose you. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in This is amazing. God took nothing and made us, made me a son of God. Nothing. No matter what attributes I may think. I take nothing with me. I brought nothing in, nothing goes out. Okay? Except that God took the foolish things and he made them wise for his purposes. Okay? And you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Now flip over to chapter 6, if you would. I'm trying to get this to blow up here. Or do you not know, chapter 6, 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor the idolatrous idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's amazing. It's amazing. Let's actually go, let me see if I still have that open in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 2. This is the church that he's, thre he's threatening. This is the church that he's challenging. And he says to this to them in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm trying to pick it up here on my phone. Ephesians chapter 2. It's not working. And you, here is how we were. Remember how you were and what you are. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, look what God has done. Look from where you have fallen, he is saying. But being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus we can stop there what he's saying is remember from where you have fallen remember what God has done to you with you through you remember the place that you were and because you have fallen from this place the next slide is now you need to repent because the question could be why why am I repenting what am I repent? Okay, so I, I didn't go to church this week, or I didn't go to the Bible study, or I didn't pray. No, that's not the point. He's saying you lost your first love because you've forgotten what God has done in your life, and you have fallen from that place to where you've allowed the distractions of this life. You've allowed your attention to be distracted. You've lost your love for God and instead placed it in things that are only tangible. Paul says the things we see are temporary, the things that are unseen are are eternal it's hard to love a God we don't see but he's saying you must be devoted to the one for who um, gives you life who as he said you've lost your first love your preference for um, all things of God the things of God the the place of God in your life this centering of your life that's what that word means centering on the preference for the greater things You've got to really reassess where you are. And if you've fallen from that, you need to repent. Jesus said, why did Jesus say in Matthew 7, verse 6, don't give to dogs what is holy or throw pearls to the swine? Because what we have, the knowledge we have, is precious. 
It's great. It will not be received by everyone. You know this. You pray for people. You share the gospel, and people slam their door on you. And you're like, what is the matter with you? Don't you understand? This is the key. Your eternal uh, destination is all centered in this. And some people don't receive it. But it also then speaks to us and says, this is something that's great and precious, and we need to hold on to it. We must be like the wayward son who took his inheritance and left and squandered it all. And the prodigal God, this is a great book by Tim Keller. He calls it prodigal God. We always say the prodigal son, but it's God who is the recklessly extravagant one who lavishes his love on us, who once we recognize that we have turned from all that we had that was good, like the son in the story, and come back with our tail between our legs, he still lavishes his love on us and embraces us and says, come back, come back. I'm just so grateful that you're here. Okay. So we must remember from where we've fallen, repent of that action, and then return. Jeremiah says, if you return, God says through Jeremiah, if you return, I will restore you. So let's do, let's go one more scripture, if you would. Psalm 90, please go to that. Oh, come on. Ah, here we go. Okay. This is Moses writing Psalm 90. We can certainly learn something from Moses who dealt with rebellious Israelites for 80 years in the wilderness. Uh, but this is what Moses says to us. Let's read the passage, and then we'll go back and reflect on it. Moses in Psalm 90, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yea, establish the work of our hands. Go back to verse 12. Moses says, teach us to number our days. My question for you is why? Why are you alive today? And how does that make a difference? Why are you here? Why do you do the things that you do? And where is the heart of God in all of that? Don't you know that apart from God, we can do nothing? Okay. What is the purpose of your being today? If you have today, the day that God has given to you, right? Um, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Does that make a difference in your life? Moses said, teach us to number our days. We have this day. If we get tomorrow, that's a gift. What am I about with that day? Don't say, I'll get to it. Hey, church is Sunday. No, today is the day. This is the day that we have this opportunity. The second part of that is release, okay? It's kind of hard to see this in the language here when in verse 13 he says return O Lord how long have pity on your servants in that sense he's saying God release us from sin release us from bondage and I'm saying that we need to release ourselves from the distractions those things that turn us away from God release us open the channel of our hearts and our minds if there's anything that's keeping us from God if anything distract I don't care what it is it's some project or some some bill or some anything, whatever it is, is distracting us and turning us away from our devotion and our love to God. We've got to remove it and eliminate it and clear the path so we have clear clarity and clear lines of communication. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, okay? Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Don't compare yourself to, you know, Pastor John or anybody else, okay? Don't be satisfied with what you have and trust God for anything that you don't have but be in that place of love and devotion to God we have this love you're so oh I wish I prayed more I wish start now start today start now God I need you what I have is sufficient sufficient of uh, today or the t I can't remember the scripture off the top of my head there you go that's it I need amen preach it sister come on up here take my place God, I thank you for what I have. God, I am grateful that you have put me in this place. 
I'm not going to compare myself to anyone else. I just want to be in a place where I am honoring you and committed to you. If I'm in the wilderness like David was, say, God, I know I'm being chased. He wants to kill me, but God, I love you. Your steadfast love will keep me. Affirm that in your presence with God. Verse 15, is it? Let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to your children. Be grateful. Gratitude. God, I didn't get all the things I prayed about, but I'm glad for what I have. I'll continue to trust. I'll continue to ask, okay? Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Okay? Why? Because we are part of the means to his end. He knows the end he has in mind, but he wants the relationship. And part of that is the gratitude for the opportunity. God, I'm grateful I can be part of this work that you are doing. Okay? Uh, what did I miss here? Let your work be shown. I think I'm a little off here, okay? The, se- the next part is viewpoint. Sometimes we need to change our view of whom to whom we are praying. I don't do this successfully all the time. But oftentimes when I pray, I stop. And I try and imagine to whom I am speaking. And that makes all the difference. So when we pray, our Father, that blows my mind. Because God is saying, Jesus is saying, He is your Father. The scripture of Psalm 10, 14, says He's the helper of the fatherless. My Father left us when I was 20. And my folks divorced when I was 15, but I never saw him after I was 20. And a lot of times your father view affects your view of relationships and men. I always tell my kids, look, I'm first generation doing this stuff, so I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure it out as I go along here. But um, I always go back to that verse, and I always try and imagine. But that's why for many years I, I had a hard time calling Barry Daddy, because my own father was gone, right? But I, when I pray, I try and think God, that I am a child of God. And I cannot rush into prayer without, you know, stopping for a minute and thinking, oh my goodness, I am praying to the God of the universe. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So I'm not going to, I'm not just going to diddle. I mean, God knows my needs, so I can kind of talk about different things, but I certainly humble myself as well. And finally, let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work for him. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. God, help us to stay steady. Help us to stay committed. Help us not to lose our first love. Last slide. He who has an ear to hear. Jesus said, to the one who prevails, I will give them the opportunity to eat the tree of life. At first I put live forever, but then I change that. We'll have the opportunity to love God forever. Where are you with your love relationship with God? Where are you with your devotion to God? I don't know what, how I can help you. I'm happy to pray with you individually to kind of encourage you in that process. We will pray as a collective. We'll have prayer people up here and we'll pray. But I want you to take some time today and sit down before God and think about what he has done for you and your love relationship with him. I think there's another picture I think of when I think about this. Think about when David wanted to build the temple. He was established in Israel. He built a house. He's got a lot of stuff going on. And the, and the, the, you know, the, the ark is still in a tent, right? So I can imagine David in his house kind of looking outside and saying, on the tent here. we got to do something about it. So he wants to build this nice house for God. And so he tells Nathan the prophet. Nathan says, well, do what you have in your heart to do. And uh, then Nathan hears from God, and he comes back in, and he talks to David. And he says, well, you're not going to do this. But God is going to use you, and he's going to bless you. And he's going to give you uh, He's going to give you great descendants. And one of your descendants is going to be the, the savior of the world. In those, in, in, Kind of in his language there, right? So David goes into this quiet place, or into the, the, um, the tent, and he sits before God, and he says, who am I, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? Okay. If you can just grab that one verse, when you sit before God today, and say, how
is it that you forgave me for my sin? How is it that you took me, as Paul said? Not many of you were wise. Look at what you once were. You were these kinds of things, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been... That should, that should transform your experience. All right. So we're going to pray. We're not going to do any fancy music or that kind of stuff. But we'll pray with you. I mean, you can come up and play, just kind of background stuff. Um, let's anybody, our prayer folks, come up here. And, and um, we just want to encourage you. Today is a day to encourage you to get back to that place, to remember your first love. Because if this church loves God, then this church will remain a vibrant church. It's not Pastor John who has to be the vibrant one. It's the church. Jesus wrote the letter to the church. Okay? It's us who have to let that vibrancy, that passion bestow us, that passion for God. And if we are devoted to God, then the, the fire will continue to burn. And then people who come by here, I mean, Paul was so powerful, people took cloths and laid them on him, and they laid them on other people, and they were healed. And that, we want to see that, right? Okay? But we will only see that if our hearts are on fire. Stand with me, would you? If you can, if you can't stand, that's okay. We're going to do a little time of a prayer and closing, and and then uh, if you want to come up and pray, we'll pray with you. Um, we just we want to bring you back to that place. I want you to take an inventory of your life today, of your walk with God, of your of your time. Read that scripture very carefully, Revelation. But I have this thing against you. You've lost your first love. You've put other preferences in place of your preference for God, your devotion to Him. We're told to love God. Jesus said, love the Lord your God. We know we're told. We're told to love others, right? But sometimes we we lose that. And, and, and we bristle when someone says, oh, you got to do these things. And what I'm saying is just go back into that place where you remember what he's done, all the wonderful things he's done. And you ask yourself why God has given to you this day and why he's even taken you from that ash heap and made something beautiful out of your life. And then let the gratitude just flow out of you that your devotion to God would be refreshed and renewed. That's what I want for you. All right, so let's pray. We worship you. Almighty God, amazing Father, that we could be called the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. This is just an amazing thing, that these creations, these beings that you created, that you drew out of the ground and formed into living creatures. You breathed life into us, and that we could know the God who gave life to us, who created this universe. This is so exciting just amazing but we we are easily distracted by the things around us and many of these things weigh on our hearts and you know the things that we have need of before we ask but you tell us to ask because you want that relationship and for in some cases we've lost it God we've been distracted we've we've it's just duty we come here out of duty it's Sunday we get in the car we go to church and then we have, you know, pot roast or whatever we do. It's, it's a routine. God, just take that out of our, our thinking. Change us. There are things that are distracting us. And God, let us help those. Let us pray for those. Let us see miracles today if there are things that are, have turned your people away from their full committed devotion to you because of these things that are weighing on them so heavily. Like David in the wilderness, somehow David being sought after for his life. His life was threatened. But somehow in that oasis, he was able to call out to you and remember your steadfast love for him. And it encouraged his heart. And he loved you back. And he was devoted to you. And you kept him as you promised. And we know you're going to keep us because you promised to do that, oh God. But for now, sometimes we get overwhelmed with our circumstances and overwrought by the things that we're responsible to do. Lift these things off of us, oh God. Bring us back to that place where we just, just move, remove the distractions. Help us not to compare ourselves to others or anything else. Okay, Let the gratitude for what you've done, from where you've brought us, 
be in our hearts. Forgive us, God, as we remember from where we have fallen. Forgive us that we've lost that first love. We repent of that today, our God, and pray that you restore it. Bring back the fervor, the passion, the desire to be with you, the desire to read your word. Let your word be crisp and alive and, and refreshing every time we open it, oh God. As we follow your disciplines, let them not be because we know we have to. We have to fast. We have to pray. Let it be because we desire to be in that relationship. God, we want to hear from you. We want to know and, and what you're thinking and the path for our lives. It requires us to be in that relationship with you. Open our hearts and our minds. Change us. Make us new. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Renew us. Restore us. Refresh us. We love you, God. Unite prayer today. Please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. Be encouraged in your hearts. Seek a place of quiet solitude where you can reflect on your relationship with God today. Turn off the TV, the noise, the news, and just sit for a while. Sit in your car. Sit somewhere and begin to rekindle that relationship that God desires to have with you. Don't let it be that Jesus has to say to you, but you turn from your let it be that you recognized it today and that you took the first steps getting back into that relationship, that your, rela your relationship with God was strengthened and the passion returned. Your devotion for God was refreshed and renewed because you started taking those steps in that direction today. May God bless you. We're here to pray if you need prayer. Otherwise, have a great day in His presence. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to hear more, you can find our entire archive on our website at graceriverva.com. Also, if this message has touched you in any way, we would love to connect with you. Do this by filling out a connection card at graceriverva.com connect. From all of us at Grace River Church, have a blessed day.